Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters' 90-minute bottomless brunch can be added to the purchase of any entree for an additional $20. Bottomless options include mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and Bud Lights. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. McGee deals. Swing a high drive, deep right center field. This one is crushed. It's way back, and it is gone. It just clears the big wall in right center field. A three-run homer for T.J. Friedel makes it 4-1 to one Cincinnati. A long hold and the pitch. Fastball hit in the air to right center toward the gap, and it's going to go to the big wall. Robles will pick it up on the warning track. Rounding third, Fraley getting the green light on his way to the plate, and Garcia's relay is offline and not in time. Jonathan India, and he gives the Reds a little bit more cushion. It's now Cincinnati 6 and Washington 2. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, August 28th. 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the podcast. And the Nationals offense continues for the most part to be off. A 6-2 loss to the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on Saturday night in game two of a three-game series. Nats now are in danger of being swept by the Reds, the lowly Reds, who this season are 50-75. and Of course, the Nats this season have the worst record in the majors. Uh, That record now at 42 and 85. The onus is on Patrick Corbin to prevent the sweep. Yeah, Patrick Corbin. Hey, he was the Nats opening day starter. Remember that. So in theory, right, the job of your opening day starter, who is in theory your number one pitcher, is to be a stopper, right? To halt losing streaks. So we'll see what our guy Corby can do on the mound uh, Sunday afternoon at 135 for game three against the Reds. But, you know, in a lot of ways, it feels like it doesn't matter who's pitching for the Nats right now because they're just not hitting. And you understand why, you know, Juan Soto gone, Josh Bell gone. I mean, nobody is shocked by the Nats' offensive ineptitude right now. And it's not like the offense was great with those guys. I think that's an important point to keep in mind. Like, with Soto and Bell, the Nats were not some great offensive team this season. But, you know, we all know how baseball goes. And sometimes you are pleasantly surprised. And sometimes guys come together and teams do well, even in the midst of having lost key players. And, you know, you're allowed to have the occasional offensive outburst. You're allowed for guys not named Soto and Bell to emerge. And 
for the most part, that just isn't happening. I mean, there certainly is a predictability with the Nats' offensive struggles right now, but there also, at least to me, is a sense of, you know, it doesn't have to be this way every game, (laughs) and yet basically every game, it is this way. The Nats on Saturday night, a mere two runs, a mere eight hits, a homer, a double, and six singles, work three walks, one for four, with runners in scoring position. There are a lot of ways to evaluate team offense in baseball. I mean, the most basic way is just runs, right? At the end of the day, like that's what you're trying to do is score runs. The Nats over their last six games have totaled 12 runs. Yeah, 12 runs over the team's last six games. And the offensive uh, struggles extend far beyond the last six games. I mean, I could have drawn that line uh, at almost any point over the last few months. But I mean, just to give you a sense of like in the immediate uh, recent past where we're at here, last six games, a mere 12 runs, two runs per game. Way too many guys just are not hitting right now. C.J. Abrams, he is young. We are certainly not passing judgment on him right now. But when you look at what he has done so far as in that, it's not good offensively. He is standing out defensively. The range continues to jump out at you at least once or twice per game. Happened again on Saturday night. But C.J. Abrams on Saturday night as an ad starting shortstop and number six batter, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. He over 42 plate appearances with the Nats. Now has an OPS of 313. Nelson Cruz on Saturday night as your Nats starting DH and number four batter. Because, of course, he was the number four batter. He can't not be the number four or number five batter for the Nats, even right now in the uh, dying weeks of a lost season. Nelson Cruz on Saturday night, 0 for 3 with a walk and two strikeouts. Your Nelson Cruz slugging percentage for the season now at 346. Victor Robles, you know, we don't talk about Robles' hitting much anymore because it feels like, what's the point? Like, what is there left to say? But, you know, it's, I think, worth uh, highlighting every so often. He does continue to really be a bad hitter, a non-productive major league batter. Robles on Saturday night as an ad-starting center fielder, a number nine batter, 0 for 4. His OPS for the season now is 576. You know, the Nats on Friday unconditionally released third baseman Michael Franco on what was his 30th birthday, by the way. How about that? I mean, nothing you can do about that, but geez. But, you know, the Nats in Cesar Hernandez, Nelson Cruz, Michael Franco, and Victor Robles have four guys who A, have played a lot this season, and B, who have really been bad offensively this season. Like, every team has guys who aren't having good offensive seasons. But with the Nats, what's really unfortunate and what really jumps out at you if you're watching these games, as I know so many of you are, is how often these players who are having really bad offensive seasons have played for the Nats this season. Like for the majority of the season, Cesar Hernandez, Nelson Cruz, Michael Franco, and Victor Robles have been every game players for the Nats. You know, Robles, maybe not as much as those other three, but he certainly has played a lot this season. And yet, Those four guys put up numbers that are really bad this season. And, you know, we're certainly seeing it now continuing with Cruz and Robles. Franco is gone. Cesar Hernandez has been relegated to the Nats bench here lately. Cesar Hernandez is in that uh, Alcides Escobar, Michael Franco territory of having gone from playing every day to now not playing at all. And I am totally on board with that. But it's rough. I mean, it is tough going for this offense overall. And it certainly has been tough going for those players 
this season. The Nats scored their two runs on Saturday night on a Lane Thomas home run and a Luke Voigt RBI single. Lane Thomas was the Nats starting left fielder and number seven battery, went two for four with a solo homer and a single. Thomas in the Nats, one run second, a two out full count solo homer to left field to tie the game at one. And Thomas in the bottom of the seventh had a two out infield single. So it was nice to see the lane train do some things offensively on Saturday night. Uh, Luke Voigt on Saturday night as the Nats starting first baseman and number three batter, one for four with an RBI single. He and the Nats, one run eighth, had a two out RBI single to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 5-2. Good to see that. Remember, Voigt also had a big hit on Friday night. He and the Nats, one run sixth on Friday night, had a one out full count solo homer to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 7-2. But like, this is kind of what you're clinging to right now. Well, this guy did this and that guy did that. Okay. But at the end of the game, it's two runs. You know that I mean? Like more often than not, that's what you're looking at these days. Two runs. Again, last six games, a total of 12 runs. Now, all of that said, I do want to give credit to two Nats who are hitting right now. And, you know, the bulk of the Nats are not hitting but these two guys are hitting. So it's almost like, okay, the majority of the class is in trouble, but you two, you did a good job, so you're not going to get yelled at here. And those two guys are Joey Manessis and Ildemaro Vargas. You know, a month ago, most Nats fans had no clue who these guys are, but right now, these guys are your two most productive Nats batters, and it's really not much of a conversation, right? Joey Manessis continues to hit. Manessis on Saturday night as an ad starting right fielder and number two batter, two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. Manessis in the bottom of the first had a one-out single up the middle off second baseman Jonathan India. Manessis in the bottom of the sixth drew a two-out six-pitch walk. And Manessis in the Nats one-run eighth, a two-out opposite field double to the right center field gap. Your updated stats for our guy Joey Fourbags now, not just for this season, but remember for his major league career, he had never played in a major league regular season game until just a few weeks ago. And yet here we are now, Joey Manessis, 21 games, 85 plate appearances, batting average at 333, on base percentage of 365, slugging percentage of 593. And to me, as impressive as all of the home runs have been, and no doubt the homers have been impressive. He has hit six homers, but you know, the homers have dried up. As impressive as the homers, to me, is the frequency with which he is going the opposite way. He is proving himself to be a very good hitter, a major league hitter, you know, a professional hitter. Again, if you're watching these games, so many of these Joey Manessis hits are opposite field hits. He had another one on Saturday night, right? I mentioned it. One run eighth, two out, opposite field double to the right center field gap. Manessis on Friday night in an at's one run eighth, a one out full count opposite field RBI single to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 7-3. The homers have been great, but, you know, he's not just some one trick home run hitting pony, you know, like he can do more than that. And we're seeing that here. You know, again, those numbers. 365 on base percentage, 593 slugging percentage. That's not just about him hitting home runs, okay? He's doing other things. He's racking up hits, singles and doubles, and it has been impressive. The only real nit to pick with Manessis 
has been the hustle. You know, there have been a few times in which he hasn't hustled, but okay, fine, whatever. Like the guy can hit. We're seeing that. And the sample size is starting to grow here. You know, like I said, 85 plate appearances now over 21 games. And then Ildemaro Vargas, he on Saturday night was an ad starting third baseman at number eight batter, got on base two more times, one for three with a single and a walk. A Vargas in the bottom of the second had a two-out single up the middle and off red shortstop Jose Barrero. Vargas was thrown out in an attempt to steal a second base for the third out, but Vargas in the bottom of the ninth drew a two-out five-pitch walk. Vargas now, 73 plate appearances with the Nats, an OPS of 825. So yeah, we can sort of remove Joey Manessis and Ildemaro Vargas from the conversation about the Nats offense overall being bad. But you know, in some ways, this actually like perfectly captures the state of the Nats offense. When Joey Manessis and Ildemaro Vargas are the first two guys you cite for a team in terms of offensive forces, well, that's kind of a problem. All due respect to Joey Manessis and Ildemaro Vargas. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash NatsChat. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two and two the count. The pitch. Swing and a fly ball into left. Playable for Fraley moving in and to his right. He makes the catch and the game is over. Robles flies out. Diaz finds the strike zone to get the final out. And the final inning and a third for him out of the bullpen to preserve this victory for the Reds. Well, we on Saturday night in this 6-2 Nats loss to the Reds had uh, our guy, Paolo Espino, a.k.a. the secret weapon as the Nats starting pitcher. And our guy, Paolo, deserved better, okay? And I know we're biased on the Nats Chat Podcast, but I think that even when factoring in our bias, I still think 
that the accurate way to frame Paolo on Saturday night is he deserved better. He was better than what his final line ended up being. Paolo officially allowed three runs in five and a third innings. Now, he did give up seven hits, okay, a homer, a double, and five singles, but he had four strikeouts versus no walks. He threw a lot of strikes, 89 pitches, 62 strikes versus a mere 27 balls, and the final two runs charged to Paolo came on a one-out three-run homer by T.J. Friedel of Jake McGee for a 4-1 Reds lead and what ended up being a 4-1 Red sixth. McGee came into the game in relief of Paolo and made a mess of the game. More on Jake McGee in moments. But the only actual run off Paolo in terms of him being on the mound to give up the run came in the top of the first. He allowed a run on a two-out solo homer by Kyle Farmer to left center field on a 1-2 pitch. The homer went a projected 407 feet for a stat cast. But Paolo on Saturday night, for the most part, pitched well. And as we have discussed, you know, he has not done so well as a starter. But I actually thought that he was pretty good in this game. Paolo this season, 34 games, uh, including 14 starts, 91 total innings, ERA of 435. But yeah, the Nats bullpen on Friday night, you know, the bullpen for the most part lately has been good, but you're not going to be great every game, especially when you're using, you know, three, four, five relievers per game. Nats on Saturday night used four relievers and uh, those four relievers combined to allow three runs in three and two thirds innings. Jake McGee mentioned him. He came into the game top of the six, runners on second and third, one out, game tied at one. And McGee to the first batter he faced, Gave up a one-out, three-run homer to T.J. Friedel to right center on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-1 Reds lead. And McGee wasn't done. He then gave up a two-out solo homer to Colin Moran to center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-1 Reds lead. So note, the Reds on Saturday night hit three home runs. Each homer came on a 1-2 pitch. The Kyle Farmer homer off Paolo Espino and the T.J. Friedel and Colin Moran homers of Jake McGee. So rough outing for Jake McGee. Victor Rano did toss a scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts. Hunter Harvey scoreless top of the eighth with two strikeouts. And then Carl Edwards Jr. in the top of the ninth, the latter run on a two-out infield single by Jake Fraley and a two-out opposite field RBI double by Jonathan India to the right center field gap for a 6-2 Reds lead. But I said Hunter Harvey in a notable way because Hunter Harvey does continue to pitch well for the Nats. Uh, Hunter Harvey, like I said, scoreless top of the eighth, two strikeouts on Saturday night. Harvey now with the Nats, 21 and two-thirds innings, 25 strikeouts, ERA at 291, and a whip of 0.97. He missed a lot of time this season with, yes, injury. I mean, that has been the story of his career. He was out two and a half months due to a right pronator strain, April 21st to July 10th. But since he came back, he's been effective. And at least right now, knock on wood, cross your fingers, you know, pay homage to the baseball gods in the sky. He's staying healthy. The Nats this past March claimed Harvey off waivers from San Francisco. He always has had talent. No one has ever questioned that. It is just that he has been as injury prone as like any pitcher who you will ever see. The list of injuries that this guy has dealt with in his baseball career It's like a mile long. It's amazing how often he's been hurt and the severity of some of these injuries. But he, to his credit, is still plowing forward. And at least right now, he's healthy and he is certainly effective. I mean, 
I don't know if you'd say he's the best Nats reliever right now, but you could. You know, like you could make that argument right now that if you need a shutdown inning right now, who on the Nats, who in their bullpen do you trust more than Hunter Harvey? You want to say Kyle Finnegan? Okay, but we know how it is with Finnegan. He can look great. He can also look spotty. Hunter Harvey, pretty consistently these days, game in, game out, is super effective. Uh, he's averaging more than a strikeout per inning, and he's barely putting guys on base. Like I said, that whip less than one at 0.97. Also with the Nats on Saturday, a couple of roster transactions. One was the Nats transferring left fielder Yadiel Hernandez to the 60-day injured list, ending his season. Yadiel's season now is over. So the Nats, the previous Saturday, August 20th, had put Yadiel on the 10-day injured list, retroactive to August 19th with a left calf strain and recalled outfielder Josh Palacios from AAA Rochester. Uh, Davey Martinez, during his pregame press conference on Saturday, said that Yadiel's calf just was not healing as you would want it to heal. From past experience with these calves, it's going to take a little bit longer than, than anticipated. We know that these calf strains can be lasting. And, you know, with Yadiel, keep in mind, he's an older guy, right? He's in his mid-30s. And I think the feeling is, uh, why push it? We need to create some space here. So let's go ahead and transfer Yadiel to the 60-day IL. And so his season is done. Yadiel in this 2022 season, 327 plate appearances, batting average of 269 on base percentage of 312, slugging percentage of 410. Those numbers don't sound great, but actually, as of Saturday, he had an OPS plus this season of 107. 100 is league average. So Yadiel for this season, an above average hitter. The guy can hit. We know that. The problem is the fielding, but the guy can hit. He is one of many players on the Nats best suited to be a DH. It's going to be interesting to see how the Nats navigate the DH spot in the lineup next year. Obviously, Nelson Cruz has been the primary DH this season, and that has sort of clogged things up to where you've had to have Yadiel play a lot of left field, and these days, Luke Voigt play first base. You know, you could argue that Joey Manessis is a guy who should be DHing a lot. So presumably, Nelson Cruz gone after this season. I think you can do some mixing and matching next year with that DH spot. The way that most American League teams have handled the DH spot for years now is use it to rotate guys. Like you don't have an every game DH. You mix and match and you give guys days off from playing the field. You take guys who are defensive liabilities, but who can hit and have them DH for you. But it's not like the same guy every game is your DH the way that it has been with the Nats this season. Now, I applauded them signing Nelson Cruz, so I'm not going to be a phony on this. I thought that the signing made sense. I thought that he could be parlayed into being a nice trade ship for the Nats this season. That clearly did not happen. That clearly did not work out. But understand, that is an antiquated way of doing DH, is having you know, your big burly slugger be your every game DH over the course of a season. Like moving forward, I think what the Nats should do and probably will do is just try to use the DH spot to hide guys who can hit but aren't very good in the field. And you have multiple guys like that in Yadiel and in Luke Void and perhaps in Joey Manessis, although we haven't seen enough of Manessis at first base to say if he's a true defensive liability. I would like to see more of Manessis at first base to see what the Nats may have in him there. He's not a right fielder, even though he's playing there a lot right now. You know, he can do it. But like you want to say, okay, 
Where is he at his best defensively? I'd like to see what he looks like at first base on an extended basis. But, you know, the other thing, too, with Yadiel, of course, is the age. Like I mentioned, he's in his mid-30s. This season was his age 34 season. So he is someone who is under team control into his late 30s. It's such a unique scenario with him. He's under team control through the 2026 season, which will be his age 38 season. Think about that. His walk year will be his age 38 season. The other transaction by the Nats on Saturday was them returning left-handed starting pitcher Seth Romero from rehab assignment, reinstating him from the 60-day injured list and optioning him to A Harrisburg. Romero, interestingly enough, uh, also had been dealing with a left calf strain. So Seth Romero, let's talk about Seth Romero a little bit here. This season is his age 26 season. And if you are being honest about things, and we are nothing if not honest on the Nats Chat podcast, one of the things that we're proud of on this podcast is we do not sugarcoat things. Now, you know, we don't go out of our way to be critical or anything like that. But, you know, we can say what the truth is here. The truth with Seth Romero is he's lucky to still be in the Nats organization. Seth Romero has been a major bust for the Nats. And perhaps at some point that changes. I hope like heck that that changes. I am rooting for Seth Romero. But you can't frame his time with the Nats. You can't categorize his time with the Nats in any way other than B-U-S-T. The Nats took Seth Romero with the number 25 pick in the 2017 MLB draft. This was a risky pick to begin with. Seth Romero at the University of Houston was suspended twice and ultimately dismissed from the program. Seth Romero in the 2018 spring training for the Nats was sent home for repeated curfew violations. Do you know how rare that is for the Nats to send a player home from spring training for behavioral issues? I can't think of another instance of this happening since the Nats came here. The team telling a player, go home, go away. We don't want you here because of how you're behaving. That's what happened with Seth Romero at 2018 Nats spring training. Then a few months later, Seth Romero underwent Tommy John surgery. August 30th, 2018, he underwent Tommy John surgery. Now, Seth Romero in the 2020 season did actually pitch for the Nats at the major league level, pitched in three games as a reliever. And Seth Romero last year got promoted by the Nats to AAA Rochester. Now, it was a bit of a questionable promotion. The promotion happened on August 24th, 2021. Seth was promoted from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester, despite him over six starts for Harrisburg having an ERA of 531. It, it almost felt like the Nats promoted him to AAA just to say, hey, look, our guy, our first round pick from 2017, we're bumping him up to AAA. Now, in fairness to Seth Romero, he did have a high strikeout rate at the time. He had a strikeouts per nine innings of 15.05, but the ERA was 531 in Harrisburg, and yet he still got bumped up to Rochester. But then came what happened this past January. Seth Romero, this past January 14th, arrested and charged with driving while intoxicated. The guy has been his own worst enemy. And it was interesting with Davey Martinez's pregame presser on Saturday because Davey talked about the Seth Romero situation. And Davey essentially said, you know, I am here for Seth. I have been here for Seth. But Seth 
has to want to be helped. You know, Seth has to want, you know, to get the advice of someone like me and others. And it kind of felt like Davey was extending an olive branch to Seth and saying, buddy, I'm here for you, but, you know, you got to meet me halfway. You know, we're not going to bend over backwards for you here. I'm not going to pretend to know everything that has gone on with Seth Romero. Honestly, I do wonder if there are deeper issues with him. You know, when you have someone who continually acts out in the way that this guy has, I mean, you do wonder, right, if there are mental health issues or chemical dependency issues. And I don't know. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a counselor. I don't pretend to know what's happening with Seth Romero. It may just be that his off-the-field troubles have simply been a function of basic immaturity and nothing more. I do know this. Many, if not most organizations, would have cut Seth Romero already. I think a lot of people thought that when he got arrested and charged with driving while intoxicated this past January 14th, that that was it, okay? Because you think about it with Seth Romero, off-the-field problems combined with health problems, right? Like I said, Tommy John surgery combined with lack of production, like those three things all converging with one guy, you would think, okay, that guy would have been gone from many, if not most organizations. But because the Nats are like starving for organizational pitching depth. And let's be honest, because the Nats spent a first round pick on him and it never looks good when you cut bait with a first round pick, Seth Romero remains in the Nats organization. And like I said, I'm rooting for him, okay? I would love for him to ultimately succeed. It would be actually a great story if somehow, some way, Seth Romero ends up ultimately succeeding. But knowing what we know about Seth Romero, Raise your hand if you're expecting that. Uh, So we shall see. But Seth Romero does remain in the Nats organization. By the way, the Nats taking Seth Romero in the first round of the 2017 MLB draft marked the Nats taking a starting pitcher in the first round of each of four consecutive MLB drafts. The Nats took Seth Romero out of the University of Houston with the number 25 pick in the 2017 draft. The Nats took Mason Denneberg out of a Florida high school with the number 27 pick in the 2018 draft. The Nats took Jackson Rutledge out of San Jacinto College, a public community college in Texas, with the number 17 pick in the 2019 draft. And the Nats took Cade Cavalli out of the University of Oklahoma with the number 22 pick in the 2020 draft. And, you know, Seth Romero has made those handful of relief appearances in 2020. Cade Cavalli just made, of course, his major league debut for the Nats on Friday night. But beyond that, I mean, you have not gotten uh, much (laughs) out of those four guys so far at the major league level. Now, we'll see, okay? Cade Cavalli is just getting going. Jackson Rutledge has been pitching very well for the Fredericksburg Nationals lately, so maybe he finally has some momentum for him in his professional career. But uh, you take a starting pitcher in the first round of each of four consecutive MLB drafts, You need at least a few of those guys to hit. And uh, right now, you can't say that any of those guys have hit. But obviously, you know, we're just getting going here with Cade Cavalli at the Major League level. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Email from Ryan off our conversation on the last installment of the podcast on all of these young stud position players signing long-term contract extensions with teams, especially the Atlanta Braves, and yet the Nats 
having never done that with, say, a Juan Soto or a Bryce Harper or an Anthony Rendon or a Trey Turner, uh, writes Ryan, one of the best things the Nats could do to increase their odds of winning the division again is start making introductions between Scott Boris and the Braves' top prospects. He has been spending far too much time around the Nats facilities, in my opinion, and should spread the wealth around. Uh, Ryan, I like how you're thinking, man. Let Scott Boris infiltrate other teams in the National League East. How about that? Or infiltrate them more than he has infiltrated the Nats over the years. Email from Connor. Now that we've cut Michael Franco, who is our backup third baseman? Good question. And honestly, the answer is Cesar Hernandez. Cesar has played third base, although he hasn't played third base in a regular season game since 2015. But Cesar Hernandez would seem to be at least a prime candidate to be the backup third baseman right now, if not the actual backup third baseman right now. I mean, I suppose you could reconfigure things in another way, but that would be the most obvious way. You look at who is on the Nats bench these days, Cesar Hernandez would seem to be the person who is the backup third baseman to Ildemaro Vargas. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. We very much appreciate that. Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings at 9 on 1061 ESPN in Richmond and Sunday mornings at 9 on Sports Radio 96.5 FM and 8.50 AM in the Hampton Roads area. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Mark will be back with me on the next installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. Until then, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.